This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist and entrepreneur. Today, I'm speaking to Kevin Holish, who is an iPhone developer from the United States. He makes some really cool apps, like one called Moment, which tracks the amount of time you use your iPhone during the day, and another called Focus, which stops you using your phone while you're driving. And today's episode isn't just for those who are technically inclined. We have a really, really, really fascinating discussion. Um, We talk about the philosophies of developing iPhone apps, the business model of being a developer, how to market an app, and much more. So let's go talk to him. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Kevin Holish. I am an independent iOS developer based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States. All right, so independent iOS developer. So let's unpack that a little bit. iOS developer, meaning that you make apps for iPhone, iPad, and I guess Apple Watch now. Um, Yeah, technically, yeah. I guess watch OS slash iOS developer. Yeah, yeah. That's a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think anyone's a dedicated uh, watch OS developer, so... Exactly. That'd be pretty niche. (laughs) So you make make iPhone apps, basically, Uh, but you're independent. So what does that mean? Independent means I work for myself, if you could call it that. So I make my own apps. I spend all day, every day, even weekends sometimes, uh, working on my own apps. So I, uh, I make three separate apps, basically, and those translate into you know, my salary, if you could call it that. But basically, I sell iOS apps for a living, my own apps. Right, so you don't work for a big studio or an app development company or anything like that. You um, you literally will sit down on a Monday, we're talking about this before we hit record, and you'll answer mm-hmm. support emails for uh, the apps that you've produced. So, you read the support email, you um, run all the finances, like you do everything. You're, a, you're you know, the, the self-employed one-man company. Yep, exactly. There's uh, just about, I, I touch every part of my business except for maybe like the tax taxes i have i pay someone <laughs> to do my taxes but that's it everything else is me that's probably wise so how did you get into uh get into this line of work so i started out kind of on the web side of things so i learned how to code and develop and market apps you know kind of before there was an iphone so on the on websites uh, mostly business to business but um, I've been involved in a number of startups, uh, online startups based in uh, Pittsburgh, and just sort of found my way into iOS development whenever the iPhone came out. I knew it was going to be a big deal. You know, as soon as it came out, I wanted one. And I knew it would be kind of the the next step in terms of sort of where software was going. Um, there's definitely still, you know, a huge market f- for the web and, you know, software as a service companies, but I've sort of fallen into iOS development and I'm like in the direction I'm headed. So, I've been sticking with it. Did you always intend to work for yourself in in that manner or because you've worked for other people along this journey? Yeah, definitely. So, my end goal was always to do exactly what I'm doing now. So, make my own apps, decide what apps to make, what features to make, sort of be the one in charge. And to do that, I've learned you know, all the aspects of the business, marketing, even the develop the development side of things. Um, but I've always been entrepreneurial and I wanted to uh, 
build my own business or at least a, a one-man shop like I am now. I'm happy doing that, but I do want to grow it into a business. Um, and it's it's been uh, something I've literally wanted to do since I was 14. You know, I was I had zero hesitation about what I wanted to do. So since I, I've been doing it for, you know, 12 years now and it, I love it even more than when I started. Yeah, cool. And that's a good place to be, to, to kind of have mm-hmm. that clarity on where you want to go. Um, I wish it was that easy for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was too. And I don't know, I just stumbled into it. I was a, you know, kind of a nerd in high school and I- you But know, nerds are cool up, now. Well, yeah, exactly. I wish they were you know, 10 years ago. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it's great. Um, I picked up a programming book and just fell in love with it. I was lucky, really, um, but love what I do. Yeah, it's it's so funny how things have kind of flipped on their head now. Like, if you mm-hmm. 10 years ago said, oh, I, uh, I make computer programs, it'd be like, oh, you're such a nerd. But now it's like, oh, yeah, like I make iPhone apps. It's like, whoa, man, that's awesome. Like, what's your yeah, app? Exactly. And it's it's such a weird dichotomy. <laughs> yeah, this- exactly. It's a lot of you know, oh, that's really cool. You make iPhone apps. I have an app idea for you. Like, you build this <laughs> like it's a lot of that. Yeah, everyone's like a, a closet developer. Well, they they, they want to be. Um, and that's something that maybe we can um, just uh, uh, jump into really quickly because mm-hmm, um, sure. this idea of uh, the idea, mm-hmm. th- this concept of the idea, rather, and how um, everyone thinks that the, the idea is the thing that is important. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I've got this idea for an app. Can can you make it? Should be really easy to make, but like it's it's going to be really mm-hmm. big. Um, and what what people kind of tend to fail to realize is that the idea itself is not really the unique, um, the important, or the valuable thing. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's actually making the idea and the execution and the manifestation of how that idea comes to life. So talk to me a little bit about how um, that that experience you have of people coming to you with ideas and why that's maybe not um, the the right approach or, you know, some of your experience with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said uh, that that really sums it up. The idea, uh, Derek Sivers, the writer online, has this thing. Good ideas are a multiplier and a good idea can, you know, help your cause but it's it's zero unless you execute on it and you know a good idea with a good execution is going to be a certain amount but a bad idea with even better execution is going to be worth way more so the idea plays basically no role um (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's that's um i'm definitely not an idea guy i've never uttered that phrase Mm -hmm. but it's uh, i honestly just explain to people like I kind of tell them, you know, if the app idea is possible or if I think it's a good one. And then I direct them to here's where you could go to a learn how to code. That'd be the cheapest and best way to do it or you hire someone to do it. And it, you know, (laughs) of all the people that have asked me, hey, I have this app idea. What do you think of it? I I don't think I've ever seen one actually come to to fruition. So it's, you know, I kind of know that direction is that you know, ideas already headed that direction by the time I hear the idea, but um, I, I try anyway. <laughs> well, I don't I don't think it was ever really alive, so to speak. People just, you know, they, yeah. they think, oh, I've got this great idea. I should, help, should tell Kevin, he should make it, and then we should split the profits. And it's... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they yeah, think that... <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'm, you can't hire me. Like, there's... Uh, I mean, uh, you could. There is... I do have a number, but it, I'm too expensive, and I just wouldn't 
build it basically yeah yeah and then like also like like i said before i think people place a huge overvaluation on on the idea itself so like that statement i that example i gave before oh, like you should build it and we'll split the profits i don't think that's actually an uncommon uh, attitude um mm-hmm. they think that coming up with the idea is where literally 50% of the value lies and and it's just it's just not um and that's been proven through um mm-hmm. not just app development but but through many many different types of um entrepreneurial uh you know literature and that kind of thing so you know you spoke about Derek Sivers before there's plenty of others um so let's let's talk about your apps um you've got three apps move moment and focus mm-hmm. nice and simple yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of the one word names that are impossible to trademark yeah <laughs> that's true uh so what's the uh maybe give me the elevator pitch behind uh each of each of those three Sure. So, they're all pretty simple apps. They basically do one thing. Move is an occasional reminder that you get to get up from your, uh, stand up from your desk and do a quick little exercise. And Focus is an app that detects when you're driving and texting or just on your phone in general and will yell at you to put it down. And Moment is an app that tracks how much you're on your phone and then there's a bunch of tools in there to help you use your phone less if, if that's your goal. The idea is kind of like, you know, put your phone down and get back to your real life. What order did you release them? Um, it went Move, which was uh, probably about six years ago at this point. It's, you know, kind of a, you know, little app that doesn't require much maintenance. And then Moment, I launched about two and a half years ago. And then Focus, I launched probably about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, the the latter two, um, I feel are quite uh, interlinked, actually. Um, Definitely, I, yeah. I assume you're probably using the same um, underlying technology that, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, makes them work. Um, mm-hmm. Just to kind of paraphrase what you've said, Moment is tracking um, how often you're using your phone throughout the day. And Focus basically does the same thing as that, but- it also adds another layer on top of it that detects when you're driving and says, exactly. hey, you probably shouldn't be using your phone right now. So, it tries to force you off through things like notifications mm-hmm. and really annoying pop-ups and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Focus definitely came out of moment. You know, I had yeah. this problem that I solved and the difficult part with iOS and moment was playing by Apple's rules and detecting if you're on your phone. So, that's a difficult thing to do. So, I you know, was just thinking, how can I move this beyond or move? Uh, <laughs> uh, how can I go beyond moment and, you know, kind of address a safety issue or one of my biggest pet peeves is seeing people on their phone while driving. So figured an app was the best way to do it. I knew how to build an app and that's how I could make the biggest difference. Yeah, the philosophical problem with um, what you're trying to achieve there is that people who use their phone while they're driving are not the same people that will download Focus. <laughs> exactly. And that's why there are a lot of parental type features. So, yeah. at you as a parent can install it on your 16-year-old's iPhone to see if they're texting and driving. And you get a little report of, A, if they were texting and driving, how fast they were going while doing it. And kind of their max speed and average speed, like all kind of, you know, parent stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that helps with that. But I, I totally agree. It's, <laughs> if you have the, um, you know, the motivation to not text and drive, you probably don't need an app. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you just won't get it in the first place because it yeah, just exactly. uh, it's telling you you're doing something wrong that you don't really care about to begin with. So, um, I'm not sure if this is the, the secret source if you want to reveal or not, but I'm actually interested in how um, these apps work under the hood. Like, how do you actually detect if someone's using their phone? So, it's a lot of things. Um, basically, if your screen is on on the phone, um, that's what I'm counting as, you know, using your phone. So, it, moment and focus as well doesn't count listening to music or a podcast or um, talking on a phone call. So, it's really tracking your screen time, I call it. Yeah. Um, so, it, it's basically if your screen is on. And is there like certain um, APIs that you can tap into to, to know when the screen's on or are you kind of doing some hacky stuff there? Uh, definitely hacky stuff. So, <laughs> hacky in the, in the way that it's allowed by Apple's rules, but there's no public API, API for it. Uh, if it were that easy, um, moment would have been out probably a year before that it took me like a year of you know kind of side development work to crack that nut and then once i did um moment really took off from there once really? i you know, released it publicly publicly and got it approved by apple um it, it went from there right okay because i always assumed that you were doing something with the uh the the background gps feature um that that's kind yeah. of going how how far you're moving and that kind of stuff and like you said there's probably a combination between that and and something else so i won't probe too much further because it's probably the like i said the secret sauce but um. yeah i mean other people have figured it out too it's not i mean i am not a developer by trade i went to business school so it, you know if i can figure it out you know other people can certainly figure it out okay Hey, Kevin, there seems to be a bit of an underlying theme between the three apps that you have in the app store right now. Um, I mean, I would probably call it- Well, actually, no, I'll ask you. I was going to kind of try and put words in your mouth, but what what, what would you say like the theme is between the types of apps that you're producing? I would say I'm doing my best to create a simple tool that combats some of the downsides of technology. So- you know, with Move, my job is sitting in front of a computer. And if I don't get up, you know, if I don't have this thing prodding me to get up, I probably won't. Um, and then Move, uh, I'm sorry, Moment and Focus are kind of addressing the smartphone overuse issue. You know, there it is a super powerful tool. And it's great to have a computer that does all these things in your pocket. But there are downsides of you know, using social media too much or especially, you know, doing anything on the phone screen while you're driving is, is a potential safety issue. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like, um, and what I was going to say before is there's kind of like this interesting yeah. health and wellness um, kind of underlying theme that you have to the things that you produce. So, one is obviously, um, you know, moving around and being active and then the others are, yeah, trying to reduce screen time or or stop you from doing stupid shit while you're driving, um, which exactly. <laughs> which is obviously uh, a uh, an important thing. So, like, is there a reason that you're trying to, I guess, kind of bring good to the world through technology? Like, why have you chosen these three apps? It seems very, like, non-coincidental that all three of mm-hmm. them have this kind of same theme to it. I think, at least in the work that, that I've done for myself, I've always tried to just make something that will improve my life a little bit. Um, And a lot of that doesn't have to do with technology. It's things like exercise, eating well, spending time with people I love. So if I can 
somehow apply software, which I know a lot about, to these real world problems. That's always my goal. Okay. Yeah, cool. I think it's a, a great um, motivation to have. So, well done. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I, I definitely want to make money from it. And I do. Um, well, you have to. I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, I treat it as a, you know, kind of a do good tool second and a business first. You know, it has to support the time that I put into it and my family and my bills and everything. So, I want to... Um... I want to ask you about uh, marketing and advertising a little bit. You know, this this podcast has four kind of major pillars. So, I thought it'd be interesting to talk to an independent uh, developer about uh, those kinds of things. Given that you uh, have, have this kind of technical focused business um, and you said before that you went to business school, which is kind of an interesting contrast, mm-hmm. um, how have you approached marketing given that you know you've got to break up your time and and what how do you actually market an app sure so how i market is really not marketing <laughs> um, i unmarketing i guess you could call it but uh-huh. i you know maybe spend an hour a week on marketing and that's just <laughs> emailing people trying to get the app in people's hands talking to you know, people that have given talks that I've liked or that sort of thing or written books that I've read and have influenced me. And that's been uh, fruitful, uh, very fruitful for moment. And that's sort of led to all of the press moment has gotten. So moments, my main app uh, focus and move, make a little bit of money, you know, enough to keep them around. But moment is definitely my uh, my golden goose, if you could call it that. Mm-hmm. Or the um, cash cow, so as uh, Boston Consulting cow, Group yeah. would call it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I'm all right with that. Uh, I'm happy to have a cash cow. And uh, I, I guess marketing is definitely something I want to spend more time on because I think my apps have more potential than I'm doing. And I'm actually starting to devote, you know, a half a day a week to marketing and advertising. Um, but I'm I'm definitely still learning as I go. Yeah, that's such a common theme. So, um, I've had uh, another independent developer on the podcast. Um, his name is Ryan McLeod. He made uh, this um, this game called Black Box. Um, I'm not sure if you've you've played it, but that was a really interesting discussion. And and I also quite frequently listen to a number of podcasts um, by Marco Arment. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. Not sure if you're a fan of like Under the Radar absolutely. or Accidental Tech Podcast. So. I'm, I'm oh, yeah. quite familiar with a lot of the, um, not personally, but kind of anecdotally, um, quite familiar with a lot of the issues that uh, independent developers face. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to hear you say that, you know, marketing, your idea of marketing is one hour a week kind of sending emails to press and whatever. <laughs> and mm-hmm. That that kind of attitude is, uh, is, is uh, reflected by um, a lot of other independent developers. And I, I don't know whether that's because uh, A, um, developers just don't know what they should be doing with marketing. Um, B, they're too busy to, to market. C, the app store is kind of good enough for discovery. Um, D, mm-hmm. people are just excited about apps in general right now that it, um, it's kind of you don't have to do a lot of marketing to get some traction or E, something that I haven't mentioned there. But um, <laughs> I think- like- Yeah, I mean, I I have an E for you, actually. It's, it's definitely a lot of, 
you know, I kind of know what I should do and I have all these marketing ideas. I just would rather be developing software than do those things. Right. But I think E for me would be just focusing so much on the product that it markets itself, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not how it works, but <laughs> making a product that's so good and so different, I guess, that, mm-hmm. you know, my customers are the ones that are spreading the word about me to their family and friends because you know if you yourself kind of use your phone too much i'm sure your friends reflect that i'm sure your family and it reflects that as well so you can kind of you know plant the seed of moment that way so it, it really does i hate the word viral but it it definitely spreads itself if i make a good enough product and that's you know what i've been doing for the past two years the the non um buzzword version of viral is uh word of mouth marketing so word of mouth exactly (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah you don't have to sound like a (laughs) douchebag i know i hate certain words yeah Uh, you know mark armament brands i hate building a brand yeah i I, and i think you know uh, that 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 is kind of an interesting um attitude towards marketing and i mean for people like marco armen and for those listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with marco he was um what the one of the lead or i think initial developer at uh tumblr and then he went on to make an app called instapaper which is kind of like a a save um bookmarking read read it later kind of style thing and then after that, he made an app called The Magazine, and now he makes a um, uh, an iOS podcast player called Overcast, which is the one that I use. I think it's probably best on uh, the market. He's kind of got this, like, a little bit of, like, a rock star developer uh, brand, I suppose. Like, he's he's just quite, like, well-known in the developer community. Um, he's a very kind of humble guy, and if you listen to his podcasts, I think he's uh, he's got a really good attitude to things. But for someone like Marco, he, who's got a... Pers- a, a, a public profile and, and you know, um, people who, I mean, I don't even know how many Twitter followers he has, for example, but it would be in the, the tens of thousands, I would say. Yeah. Um, so, like, for someone like Marco, he can release a new app and he can get automatic traction for it. I think it would be a lot harder for somebody like yourself or somebody like Ryan, who I've interviewed previously. So, that, that makes it a lot harder to get this word of mouth marketing um, because you have no launch pad to start from. To speak to that, I, I, you know, still to this day have no launchpad, if you call it that. But I have, you know, 500 followers on Twitter and most of them are just my friends. Yeah. So I released Moment and within, you know, a month, it was in the New York Times, Mashable, Washington Post, you know, just all over the place. TechCrunch. Um, so I didn't have any journalists contacts i didn't have any following or anything but i just sort of focused on the product and you know made something that didn't exist in the app store you know as mature as the app store was at the point i released it i made something that was actually different and got traction that way i think Mm -hmm. yeah and that's true yeah it's definitely possible to do it without a launch pad like marco has but it's not impossible I, I think you're right, though. The, the apps that you've made are quite unique. Like, it's not a it's not a carbon copy of um, of some other game or, or whatever that someone else is doing. Like, 
if I tell somebody about moment, for example, it's like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't even know that was possible to track how mm-hmm. how often you're using your phone throughout the day. And it gives you a report at the end of the day of like how many um, minutes or for me hours you've used your um, <laughs> phone. <Yeah. laughs> In fact, yep. I, I, t- <laughs> I think the, the daily limit is uh, the, the default is at four hours. Um, yeah. And I just- turn mine to 23 hours and 59 minutes because I was like, I can't, every time it like sends me an alert halfway through the day, I'm like, no, I can't, I can't keep dealing with this. (laughs) Yeah. I like to say I make the most loved hated apps ever. It's like, wow, this thing is so helpful to tell me how much I'm on my phone, but I really hate that it tells me how much I'm on my phone. Yeah. That's a really interesting dichotomy that you're kind of facing. Um, you want to present that actually there's a really interesting design challenge as well because you want to present that information in a in a way that's not too negative that people stop using your app you want people to continue using it right so yep. uh just to kind of go off on a bit of a tangent there cuz cuz you you kind of threw that um thought into my mind how mm-hmm. did you approach designing these apps to overcome that that challenge sure so that's something i'm still figuring out now actually i I launched the app with this daily limit feature, which you mentioned. So it's basically a way for you to, you know, put up a, a wall for you at a certain, after a certain um, amount of phone use per day. So I've had that tool and that's a very like black and white tool. There's no, there's no gray area to it. And that helps some people. It's helped me, but you know, for instance, my wife, uh, hates her daily limit as well. So she just turned hers up to, you know, something that she'll never ever hit like 23 hours and 59 minutes. I couldn't do any more. (laughs) Exactly. If you're on your phone that much, I don't know. Yeah. It's basically impossible. So I've had that feature, but lately I've been sort of trying to, uh, make softer tools for people that, um, you know, probably don't need an iron fist. So, one of the recent features I launched was uh, a coach, which you can go through this 14-day phone boot camp. And every morning it gives you this, you know, somewhat silly or somewhat serious exercise to do that's like, don't use your phone in the bathroom today. It just It's designed to pinpoint your potentially bad habits around your smartphone use and then go from there. So the app sort of plants the seed, moment plants the seed in your head but doesn't necessarily enforce everything. It's just sort of to highlight some of your habits around your screen use. I like it. But it's it's something I'm definitely still figuring out. I just wanted to quickly ask what uh, lessons you've learned about marketing through, you know, being a, a developer and, and approaching this project. Um, what do you know about marketing now that you didn't say five or six years ago? Um, I I would say... The thing I've learned the most is at least like press mentions around press mentions. So I've never really worked on a project that has been mentioned in the press as much as moment has. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a, you know, a softball story like, Oh, everyone uses their phone too much. Get this app and it'll fix all your problems. Yeah. That sort of story is kind of a, an easy article for a lot of people to write. But what surprised me the most is how little that actually affected my, revenue at least past the launch so you know the first three months month months of the app being public and getting ready get getting written about 
uh, really helped Moment Launch. But beyond that, if I get a press article and even, you know, a big magazine uh, like Inc. Magazine or something like that, it doesn't really move the needle so much. Um, and that's uh, been surprising for me. Uh, and even like the, you know, sort of big old newspapers here in the States, New York Times, Washington Post, they move the needle a little bit, but not nearly as much as you'd think. And I, I'd have hmm. random days where I didn't get written about at all that, you know, the revenue just spikes for some reason. Like I have no idea why in the app store, but um, that's probably been the biggest thing that I've learned. So it's not really even a positive thing that I've learned. Just, <laughs> you know, that I, I'd see these, you know, articles, companies that were written about in, you know, every publication, but that doesn't necessarily translate into financial or business success. That's really fascinating because I inherently I would think, yeah, you want to get press mentions that gives you traffic to your oh, website it, and that kind of thing. Yeah, but, and like yeah, brand. I, I mean, it, it definitely doesn't hurt. Sure. But like it, what does hurt is the time that you invest into getting those. Now, I know you said you, you know, haven't um, spent a huge um, amount of time devoted to marketing, but, you know, there's kind of a trade off an opportunity cost for every hour you put into trying to drum up press or whatever. That's an hour that you're not spending on some other part of your business. So, uh, you have to ask yourself if the press uh, mentions don't actually push the needle at all then perhaps they're not worth pursuing. So, I don't know. It's just a, an interesting kind of thing to think about. Um, and maybe there's other styles of marketing that you get more bang for your buck. Um, so, yeah. But the, the other thing I, I kind of wanted to maybe throw back at you was- um, because we've talked a lot today about um, word of mouth marketing and um, and just trying to make a, a, a a great product and uh mm -hmm. and that's kind of something that is kind of thrown around in the software industry um even uh, a number of marketing professionals talk about it the likes of seth godin um who i'm not sure if you're familiar with but you know yeah. they talk about a great product will uh in some ways market itself and and perhaps that's uh, another lesson that you've kind of learned about marketing through building Definitely. um building these apps and uh I guess, focusing more on, on the product than the actual promotion of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to put it in another way, I've focused solely on how, like, the the job I'm doing with the app, like, how I'm going to improve someone's life rather than trying to convince people they need this thing that they don't know they need. I've just been trying to make something that really helps people. Um, I mean, not in a charitable way, really, because I'm making it a business, but just something that is effective at what people are downloading the app to do. So in Moment's case, it's tracking how much you're on your phone and using it less. So making it an effective tool for that is, you know, better than trying to make an okay tool and then, you know, convince people they need it. So, let's talk about uh, the kind of entrepreneurship angle a little bit. Um, <clears throat> the what, What's what's life like as an independent developer um, financially? You know, how, how do you sustain uh, a, an income um, to provide for a family and life and bills and all that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Sure. So, for me at least, uh, it's part two ways. I, I try to keep my costs down, you know, my cost of living down. I 
don't really live in a fancy neighborhood or anything. Actually, it's going to sound bizarre, but I live in an RV with my wife and we drive around the country full time. That's cool. So, yeah, it's one of the great, I mean, probably the greatest benefit of doing the work that I do is I have the freedom to work whenever I want and wherever I want. So that translates into uh, my wife and I driving around the country and just seeing places we haven't seen. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, moment and focus and move make, they've steadily replaced my, uh, previous, you know, salary. I, I used to be a freelance developer, so that was, you know, contract work. And it's taken, you know, about a year to replace that salary or it wasn't a salary, but it was the money I was making before with that income. So I did dial it back in order to work full time on my own apps, but it's been steadily growing since then. Mm-hmm. Have you found that uh, when you when you launch uh, each of the apps, you get a big spike in uh, in revenue when when you know you get that groundswell of everybody um, downloading it, and you get a lot of press and all that kind of thing. Um, but then it it really. Um, it's it's like the the inverse hockey stick. You get a huge um, spike, mm-hmm. and then it it really just uh, goes down to um, almost zero uh, after the launch period. And then there's like this really steady, like low, not trickle, not trickle, yeah, yeah yeah the trickle revenue like forever. Um, yeah, have you experienced that with your apps? Yes, definitely. So when I launch, it's always a big like groundswell is a good word for it. Um, it's always a big uh, bunch of people download it, a bunch of people buy it because it's new, or I have a mailing list of a ton of Moment customers. So if I launched Focus, there was a big spike at the launch, but then it sort of does trickle out for sure. And what I've noticed with Moment, at least, I've steadily increased the trickle, I guess. <laughs> so it it go it went down you know something that's you know five percent of the launch day or something and then i've steadily gotten that up to maybe ten percent of the launch day so Mm -hmm. it's not anywhere near if i had a launch day every day i'd you know i'd be retired by now but (laughs) it's been just trying to make the trickle a little bit bigger or make it more steady less you know spiky when i get a press uh mention or something so it's uh, just trying to make it steady and uh, just <laughs> increase the trickle, I guess. That's pretty much what I do. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I think this is actually a really inherent problem with uh, software models like the App Store, where it's a, a pay once um, support forever style model. You're obviously familiar with this from working in the field. I'm familiar with it from listening to um, Marco's podcasts and, and the like. But mm-hmm. again, for those uh, maybe not as familiar with it, one of the big problems with the app store is that, uh, you know, you go and buy an app and it might cost you $2, $5, whatever. Um, and generally the high price you pay, the more expectation you have upon that app as well. But let's just take a, one of those as an example. You buy it once and then you expect uh, you'll get um, all the bugs fixed and new features added over time. Uh, and then you don't mm-hmm. give that developer any more money ever. <laughs> Generally, so I've bought an app for two dollars, which is quite cheap in terms of uh, software compared to like what you would have been working on in the past. You know, B two B software as a service is you know hundreds of dollars, sometimes oh, yeah. monthly subscriptions, that kind of thing. So, a consumer grade um, software for your iPhone, 
you pay $2 for an app. That's probably even more than um, most apps are. Most of them are a dollar. And mm-hmm. you, 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 you get this thing that you expect to work forever. And the problem that the developer has is that they only get that- Well, they don't even get the $2. They get 70% yeah. of the $2 because Apple <laughs> yep. takes a 30% cut. Uh, and then um, they have to continue to work on it and to support it, uh, fix all the bugs and to provide new features and all that kind of stuff. Not just for you, but for every other person that bought it. Uh, and really, all they're getting in return for that- for that ongoing work is the trickle. Mm-hmm. So, so that the launch day is great, but but um, you have to continue to work full time generally to support the trickle. Um, that's the only mm-hmm. extra revenue that's coming in. So, that's kind of like a really challenging um, situation for a lot of developers to be in. And that's why we're seeing, I think, um, a lot of these apps that uh, have a lot of advertising because that's an ongoing um, mm-hmm. uh, ongoing source of revenue. Um, things that uh, have a lot of in-app purchases as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you can like buy coins for your Clash of Clans or a bag of gems or whatever <laughs> yeah. the hell you buy. Um, all those like uh-huh. really gross ways of making money. Yep. Or you can do what you've done. So, I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, you've you've introduced like almost like a secondary business model to, uh, to Moment beyond mm-hmm. just the initial app purchase. Talk me through that. Exactly. So, Moment and the rest of my apps now are actually free to download. So, I'll get a ton of downloads each day and then I'll, I'll do the... Uh, I, I offer in-app purchases. So that's like premium features inside of the app. So the parent reports I mentioned earlier for focus and then moment, it's the coach and a bunch of other tools that I sell for a one-time fee of $5. And then with moment, actually, I have a feature set called moment family, and that's a way for parents, again, parents to keep an eye on how much their kids using their phone so it's just a way to you know enforce daily limits if you if you want to do that or really just have a conversation about phone use um and that that is actually a uh subscription so it's five bucks a month uh it's less if you pay for a year up front but Mm -hmm. that's one way i'm trying to uh sustain that trickle and have a more predictable income. Um, you know, I, I know a certain percentage of my user, my moment family users are going to be still customers next month. So I can kind of depend on that revenue coming in. And that's been the biggest thing that has helped moment, uh, especially just, uh, to steady everything out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I had this question in the uh, in the run sheet. Do you think it's risky to trust your entire uh, income on one channel, being the app store? Um, <laughs> I got this side note, particularly when that one owner, uh, well, the owner of that one channel is Apple, and they're very strict with their policies, and they change things without notice, and um, it's very their way or the highway. Is it risky? Uh, very much so. Yeah, <laughs> um, it it doesn't keep me up at night anymore only because I've been doing it for two years at this point with Moment. Um, So, Moment was, uh, it took me about eight months to develop the first version, which was, you know, terrible, really. The core of it worked, but it was really just a terrible experience. But to get that out there, it took me probably eight submissions to Apple, you know, saying, hey, can I do this? And they'd say, no. Hey, can I do this? No. And finally, I got a yes. Mm -hmm. And since then... Uh, since I released it publicly, 
Apple, at least with Moment in particular, seems to, you know, be totally cool with it. You know, they haven't, they've never featured the app, but they've been okay with the, uh, you know, back end, you know, uh, programming stuff I've been doing mm-hmm. in order to accomplish the goal. So it, it makes me a little less nervous. Um, and even with subsequent iOS releases, as the years have gone by, they've sort of opened things up to make it easier to do what I do with moment and focus. So it is certainly risky to have one channel of sales, but I know, you know, with the experience I have now, especially if I, if my apps went away tomorrow, I could make a good living being a consultant. So building apps for other people, which I definitely prefer building apps for myself, but I'm not opposed to, you know, <laughs> working for a living. Mm-hmm. So it is risky, but, uh, but you're comfortable yeah, with that risk. <laughs> yep. I mean, there's, it's either, you know, be comfortable with it or just don't build iOS apps. And I don't, that, I mean, that's not really not a choice for me. I love doing what I do and I love Apple's platforms they make. So it's really a perfect fit for me. So it's a risk I uh, have to take really. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair. So I wanted to ask about uh, running a business solo. What's it like? We're we're doing this interview. Uh, you're you're in a car. Is that is that the van? It's uh it's a truck pickup truck actually. All right, yeah. cool. So like, I guess this is like your mobile office. Um, yep, in exactly. a way, how do you uh how do you manage like working by yourself? You know, is it is it lonely? How do you manage like the workload, time management, that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, it's I've always been very organized when it comes to my work. You know, I have a timeline of exactly you know kind of what features i want to build when and it's it's really for me a matter of um uh, my wife is my main soundboard so she works from home as well works from the road i guess you could call it (laughs) and she's the one that i bounce ideas off of i have a couple other developer friends that do similar things that i bounce ideas off of if i need input but most of it is just me you know, thinking of ideas in the shower and then writing them down and then developing them eventually. So it's, it's, um, I wouldn't say lonely. I'm an introverted person to begin with. So I like just sitting in a laptop, listening to music and coding. So it's uh, kind of a natural fit for me. That therapeutic coding, hey? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I listen to like the angriest music, like, um, I think they call it like, dubstep and trap music just yeah, like yeah yeah <laughs> EDM, that kind of stuff. that's that's really it to walk me through um the this kind of workflow or the process that you have behind um planning i want to understand a little bit more about you know how you how you conceive of new ideas and how you actually map that out over a, over a timeline i mean that seems like a very corporate uh way of approaching things but mm-hmm. i guess that's because uh you know, corporates need to be organized. So it's probably good that you're taking a leaf out of that book. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I probably made it sound more organized than I am, but it's basically <laughs> just a big to-do list. So if I come up with an idea, it goes on that to-do list and I kind of rank it. You know, I put it near the top if I want to do it sooner, if it's a good idea, or put it near the bottom to, you know, get to it eventually or probably realistically never get to it mm-hmm. if it's not that important. So it's it's really just a big list of ideas that I've had. And every once in a while, I'll go through that list with 
you know, basically a fresh set of eyes and think about it a little bit. Um, there's a writer, I might have been Seth Godin, but he calls it letting the ideas marinate, just going back and adding a little bit to this idea. And then, oh, you know, this new thought that I had made it a better idea. So I'll move it up. And it's it's really not any kind of uh, formal timeline or milestones or anything corporate. It's just a big list of to-do list, a uh, big to-do list, basically. I like that uh, letting the ideas marinate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's It also kind of works the other way where sometimes um, something that you thought was an awesome idea might actually turn out not to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it yeah, you, you kind of, you know, can look at that with sober eyes in the future. Just yeah. it, you know, wait a week after that initial, um, you know, light bulb came to you and then see if it is actually a good idea. I, I never thought about it that way, but that's definitely benefit of it yeah i always used to get really depressed like you i'd come up with these with these cool ideas of projects that i wanted to work on and you'd write them down so you don't forget and then you go back and i'm not i'm not as excited about it you know two weeks mm-hmm. later and you go ah oh, i should have done that two weeks ago but maybe that was the yep. wrong the wrong attitude maybe i should have should now think okay i thought it was a good idea but maybe it's actually not now that i've kind of let it marinate a little bit um oh yeah i like that yeah i mean if you if you have an idea and then build it straight away you know it's kind of uh you're gonna get stuck with it almost it depends on what the idea is but if you build it and it turns out not to be a good idea and you release it it, it's you know you're kind of stuck with it to a certain Mm -hmm. extent Mm mm-hmm just one other question on on uh, running your own running your own business. You do have to do everything, you know. Do you get a lot of support email, and how do you kind of manage that? You know, like let's say apart from actually um, coding, what is like your biggest uh, your biggest task? Definitely support email. You brought it up. Um, I don't really get that much. It might be forty emails a day or something, and all the questions are kind of the same at this mm-hmm. point. And I should say they're either the same or they're kind of like one-off requests. Like, hey, can you help me set up my account or, you know, invite my kid to use the app? That kind of thing. So, they're all pretty easy. But I have recently started to uh, be worse at customer support email. So, I used to (laughs) have this... (laughs) I used to have this, like, uh, requirement of myself that I answered every email in 24 hours. But now, you know, if I'm answering a support email every day for an hour and a half in the morning, it just sort of drains me mentally and I don't, you know, focus on the rest of the day. So I answer support email three times a week now, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Tuesday, Thursday are just my get stuff done days. So that's helped me a lot, um, for sure. I've been doing it for the past month and I've gotten, I've been a lot more productive, we'll put it that way. And customers you know if they get back to you within two days they're still psyched that a human answered mm-hmm. so I, i've never Your call is any. important to us <laughs> yeah yeah beep, exactly. beep, beep, beep. I think it's good. Like um, on your website, it's uh, you're pretty explicit. You say, um, I read every email personally um, and I try to respond to as many as I can. Um, and I think that's a great attitude. And like I used to get really pissed off with people that um, were independent developers and I'd send an email and be like, 
yo, I'm trying to give you like valuable feedback. Like, why don't you care about this? And then, uh, and then again, going back to, to Marco, but um, since he's a, a great example, I was listening to one of his, his podcasts and he was talking about how, you know, he gets hundreds of emails a day to his support email address. Um, a lot of the time saying the same thing, people reporting the same bug or, or whatever. And it's like, if, if he respond, and it's the same case for you, I suppose, if you respond to every single email that you get saying, hey, thanks for your bug request, uh, your, your, your bug um, report, I'm working on it. If you responded to all of those, even with just a one line, you'd never actually fix the bug. So, exactly. it's better just to fix the bug, put a little note in the um, release notes, which nobody reads, uh, and mm-hmm. say, this bug got fixed and then the person's happy because you fixed the issue rather than gave them a personal response. So, there's this really delicate balance that you have to have to play because I think it's, it is important to not be a dick and, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and it's great to respond to people. People feel really privileged to get a, a personal response from a real human being. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting balance that you have to strike. Uh, and Definitely. Yeah, Marco definitely, you know, basically I think doesn't answer support emails. And I'm not quite there yet. Um, I'm sort of getting to that point, but I honestly learn a lot talking to customers. Um, mm. You know, for example, with Moment Family, if a family ends up canceling or can't invite their kid or their it doesn't work on their kid's device, like... That's stuff that's helpful for me to know, uh, you know, for that particular customer. But also, hey, if it's the invitation process is confusing, I should really look at that again and fix it. Um, It's easy to get caught up in the weeds with, you know, extrapolating an individual's feedback to every user because you're only talking to the people that are confused. But it's um, been definitely helpful feedback for me to have um, just to... Uh, sort of um, tweak features that I've already built and designed to make them just, you know, 5% better. Yeah. Well, you talked about the sounding board earlier. This is really an object, a completely objective sounding board. People mm-hmm. who have no vested interest in your feelings, really. <laughs> it's like, yeah, hey, exactly. this shit's broken, like fix it. Yeah. Um, or this doesn't work or I'm confused by this. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, if you can take it the right way and, and be um, not personally offended by it, you can say, all right, cool. Well, maybe maybe this could be 5% better. And then say so you fix that and and- and then you slowly make it um, better and better. So, yeah, it's cool. So, Kevin, I want to ask, what does the future hold for you? You know, you're working on another project at the moment that you can uh, reveal as an exclusive on Mate Podcast or, uh, you know, what, what's what's kind of going on in your world? Sure. So, I'm actually working on a feature for Moment that I, I mentioned the 14-day phone boot camp earlier. It's like, hey, don't use your phone in the bathroom today. But I'm working on... Uh, another course uh, inside the coach if you want to sort of dial back your phone use. So a lot of people try to, you know, rapidly change their habits very quickly and it just doesn't work. Um, it might work for a couple of days, but then it just everything, you know, they just go back to normal. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on something that sort of gradually ratchets your phone use down. So you, if you use your phone for six hours a day. I'm just making up a number. Um, You might dial it back to five hours and 45 minutes for a week. And then every week you kind of chip away at that until you get to a level you're happy with, you know, if it's three hours or whatever, it's, it's different for every person, which is kind of the point. Um, You know, some people 
I've had people write in saying, you know, I use my phone for 20 minutes a day. Like, this is ridiculous. I should use it less. And then other people <laughs> write in with, you know, 12 hours a day and they're totally cool with it. So it's totally different for every person. So that's what I'm, uh, that's the, uh, maybe not the next biggest feature I'm, I'm making, but it's it's in the near future. That's so funny. I, I reckon I use my phone for 20 minutes before I even get out of bed. <laughs> before exactly. my day even starts. Yeah, exactly. Funny you mentioned that. One of the uh, the days in the boot camp is uh, leave your phone out of the bedroom today. So don't use it before you go to bed and don't use it uh, in the morning, which honestly has been the biggest step for me as well because i i did the same thing i'd spend 20 minutes on twitter before i even opened my eyes basically yep yep what's exciting you right now hmm, that is a good question um <laughs> it's funny uh the thing that excited me i was like oh virtual reality and then it's like definitely not like <laughs> moment especially is just all about getting back to your real life and, you know, if you're if this like block you this like glass block you hold in your hand is so um, enthralling, virtual reality is just going to be so engrossing and addictive, I guess. I hate that word, too, but addicting. Um, so I can I'd have to think about what I'm excited about. But what I'm not excited about is virtual reality. I'm mm -hmm. already trying to think of like <laughs> like ways I can like build a moment for that it's like hey <laughs> maybe take your glasses off for a bit and look at the trees around you instead of the fake trees and minecraft whatever <laughs> you can be like so, hey uh there's this really cool game um it's in ultra ultra high def uh yeah, and it's called yeah. life um yeah, <laughs> you should exactly. try it sometime <laughs> and it's hard sometimes but rewarding in other ways you know it's not yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible answer to your question, but no, that's fine. Um, the 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 second last one is um, who should I interview on Mate next? Um, this guy named Heath Paget. Mm -hmm. He is a fellow full time RVer like myself. Him and his wife went on this tour across the United States. They he worked a job in ev all fifty states, so fifty different sort of blue collar jobs, you know, working at a fast food restaurant or, you know, a, a winery crushing grapes, like just all kind of random stuff. Um, and he's a, he's a interesting guy and even, you know, younger than I am. Um, he's I think 24 or 25 and he's already made his first documentary. He's launching a software company. Like he's a go-getter for sure. Yeah. Wow. Give a shameless plug. Where should people find you online? What app should they go and download and give you money and help, you know, put petrol in their tank and mm -hmm. uh, keep letting you do the amazing things you're doing? Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, definitely go download Moment. It's if you just search Moment in the App Store on your iPhone or iPad, it'll come up or Focus. Um, you might if you type in Focus, you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper, but you can go to inthemoment.io or justdrive.io for focus. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Holish, uh, K-E-V-I-N-H-O-L-E-S-H. I'll occasionally tweet out some interesting stats about you know the most used iOS app and everything. Cool. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great. Take care. Enjoy your day. 
Thank you, Kevin, for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed our chat. Editing for today's episode was by Josh Armour from ArmourPod Productions. The Mate logo is by Courtney Carmen, and the music is by Nine Inch Nails, used under a Creative Commons license. Now, I just wanted to mention the magic of audio storytelling, because if you could see me right now, um, you would... <laughs> You would just laugh. Um, I'm, I've, I've just been through a, a house move um, into a new apartment and uh, we've got a polished concrete floor here. So that is definitely not ideal for good audio recording of these intros and outros and that kind of thing. You get a lot of echo and room noise from flat surfaces. So right now I'm standing in uh, my bedroom with a blanket over my head holding the microphone just to try and get some um, dampening on the uh, on the echo. So hopefully it sounds okay. Um, but uh, these are the lengths that uh, podcasters sometimes have to go to to, uh, to get good sounding audio. And with that, I did want to mention that as you can tell from my previous statement, Mate Podcast is made with love in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, we'll speak to you next time. Thanks for listening. This was a Jaffrey product. Bye for now. <laughs>